actually met at Social Fresh last year. From Social Fresh Conference, you're listening to The Social Toolkit, a behind-the-scenes look at today's top social tools and the experts who use them. Delete your AOL email. You've got mail. Log out of MySpace. Close down Internet Explorer. It's time to get serious, serious. about today's digital arsenal. Welcome to the Social Toolkit podcast produced by Social Fresh Conference. I'm Jason Keith, founder and CEO of Social Fresh. Today's guest comes to us from NYC. Bob Gearing is the global head of enterprise solutions at Social Bakers. Really excited to talk to you today, Bob. How's it going? Jason, doing really well, man. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy to talk to you. I love uh, when we get the chance to talk to platforms and tool solutions uh, that can help people out and, and dive a little deeper into you know some options for people that can really help improve their process and, and what they're working with out there. Um, Bob, how long have you been at Social Bakers? Yeah, so I've been at Social Bakers now just under six years. Um, the company has been around a little over 10 now, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when, I mean, when right after I started Social Fresh, maybe the year or two after I spoke at a conference, a couple conferences in Europe, and I met Jan over there when he was just getting Social Bakers started um, and was really interested yep. in, in kind of what he was up to. So it's it's definitely, I mean, it's been around probably a little bit longer than Social Fresh, if not right about the same age. So that's really interesting that not a lot yeah. of our technical companies in social media are that old today. Um, so it's been really great to see Social Bakers kind of grow and expand the offering over the years. Yeah, it's been exciting. I mean, I think I, I came over as a part of the team that helped really launch and kickstart the U.S. Uh, region. Um, and now, like you mentioned, especially with so much consolidation going on in the space for us to have that, you know, 10 plus years of experience and in industry yeah. uh, expertise is one of my favorite things to be able to share back with our partners. And what would you say is kind of the differentiator for Social Bakers? I mean, Social Bakers is really an all-in-one. It does a ton of stuff, a lot of great listening tools, a lot of great publishing tools. But what, what do you think is really the differentiator that people should think of when they see, think about Social Bakers compared to other solutions out there? Yeah, I think now there's so many partner, you know, platforms that claim to do everything and you know, act as if they can uh, source uh, all these different data points. I think where we've really spent our time is uh, we were really well known for being the leader as far as analytics goes, right? And helping yeah. companies understand how they're owned, uh, how their competitive performance, benchmarking themselves, um, all those top line things. But as socials evolved and as companies have really also dug in uh, even further in that social, really kind of understanding uh, further things around what to post, when they should actually post it, should they spend money on those things? Um, how are they activating that against influencers even now? Um, and Social Bakers has really um, strived to become that uh, tool that has evolved quick with those partners that we work with as well on their demands. Um, and I think for us, becoming closer to that all-in-one solution is ultimately always our goal. Um, and really kind of becoming that consultive team that can help brands uh, dig in is the way that I see us continuing to evolve in the future. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think you are doing some really innovative stuff. And I think it is hard to maintain kind of all-in-one status as a tool for sure, because there's so many things that brands <laughs> right. are constantly asking for and looking for uh, and social is constantly changing. 
Um, but I, you know, social bakers is always something that's on my uh, radar when it comes to kind of when people are looking for an all-in-one solution. And I think it's, you know, even though I think social bakers has really been in the U.S. now for a number of years, I still think there's people that are not as aware of of the the solution and really should be looking into it when they're looking for a, a new software um, solution for their social. So. Uh, I appreciate you hopping on the show. I, I'm really excited because we're going to talk about some case studies today that you've worked on, Bob. Uh, Crocs, yep. uh, Frito-Lay, Aldo, some Super Bowl stuff, which is always really fun. And we've got another Super Bowl coming up here very soon. So that's very timely. Yep. Um, I, I did want to, I'm curious to you, when you are talking to clients or when you're thinking about social today, um, what do you think is a good aspirational brand that maybe it could be somebody you work with or not worked with, just you're paying attention to online, but what's a good like social media aspirational yeah. brand that you think is is a good one to keep an eye on? Yeah, so I think somebody that I find myself digging in further and further on uh, recently and paying a lot more attention to is complex media. So I, I feel like they've really kind of now established themselves as one of the leaders in the publishing space, right? Focusing on... Uh, one of my yeah. favorites, sneakers, uh, food, music, pop culture, and really now events have become their major pillars. Um, we're not partners with them. Um, I have been in, in a lot of a lot of meetings and digging in on some of the things that they're doing. I hope we can be at some point. Uh, but they're a brand that I really kind of just love seeing how engaging their content is. They've really um, dug in a, a bit further on Instagram stories. Um, really trying to just now understand how their audience, both that younger demo and that, you know, kind of Gen X and Z that they're just really trying to kind of continue to engage with. Um, they're one of my favorites as far as those things goes. And I would say one of the others that I still personally just dig um, uh, is Shinola, right? I'm actually originally from Detroit. Uh, between what them and Carhartt are doing and some of their revamps, and it'll lead me into some of the things I'll talk about with the Crocs case study. Um, those are two brands that have, you know, just love for me for everything Detroit. But what they're doing on social has really also kind of changed the game, you know? Yeah. I like Carhartt too. And Complex is interesting because Complex is really kind of a, they're one of those brands that's able to be kind of a cultural touchstone, I think, especially with the youth culture. And, and even oh, if you sure. would never kind of consume their products, you can just pay attention to them and really see kind of uh, what the trends are in communication yeah. and media when it comes cool. to a younger demographic. I love those examples. Um, yeah. so, and it's funny you say that you can consume them. They actually just launched their complex shop uh, where they're now starting to actually sell a lot of the things that no, they're I didn't know that. talking about every single day. So you have smart. to check it out. Something that just kind of launched this last week. Very smart. Very smart. Okay. So I want to jump into an example uh, from a tried and true shoe company brand that has been around in social for a while. And I've actually you know worked with in the past Crocs. So cool. Crocs is one of those fun yeah. brands that really has a great niche community. <laughs> Um, and I, I love that you got to work on uh, some some campaigns with them. Um, one of the things that you worked on with Crocs was reviewing their Instagram and kind of uh, taking a look yeah. at where they could uh, maybe optimize some things in their Instagram. And I, I love that one of the uh, building blocks there was to tap into carousels more because one of the things that we talk about when we are working with uh, brand clients for our state of social products um, is that I'm constantly seeing carousels as an underutilized uh, opportunity yep. for content type. And I think uh, one of the things you saw in your insights actually in the data is that carousels uh, were 
being underutilized uh, for Crocs and something they should yep. probably tap in more. Can you talk about that process and what that looks like and why you think carousels are used maybe less so than they yep. should be or or what you would recommend for most brands when looking at that uh, content posting type? Yeah, I, um, it's, it's one of my favorite kind of topics and something that I feel like we're digging with a lot of different brands on now. Um, I remember when we first met with Croc, still thinking like, how are they still around? I felt like it was <laughs> one of those brands where, you know, I, I hadn't heard a ton about them, but in the last three to four years, they've really started to um, uh, take a little bit more um, nostalgic approach to i think everything that they have always done has been around the clock right um that's their icon yeah. and now they've really taken it even a step further where they're actually celebrating it right they've stopped pretending like it doesn't exist or had that you know initial it's an older shoe it's become that younger model and i think that carousels had ultimately led us to being able to really understand where the audience was engaging with their content so one thing I really like about carousels that I think is underrated is imagine your user experience when you log on to Instagram, right? Now, let's say Crocs is one of the, you know, now it's going to pop up on my phone because they're listening to it. But um, when it pops up, right, um, it's going to show me the first frame of that carousel. Now, when I come back to hop into my app hours later, maybe even a day later, I'll sometimes be served another um experience around the second frame of that carousel. Yeah. So I want you to, and you know, even the audience will start probably noticing that that's listening, that as you dig in to those um, carousels, you're going to see them popping up and Instagram is actually serving to us multiple times because it also helps our brands understand, you know, frame one didn't actually hit. So frame two was the one that they were actually looking at and engaging with. And that's where now they can make better decisions on how to build those carousels how to tie them back. And I think ultimately when it becomes even more shoppable, which is going to be coming in 2020, um, that's something that we're going to help build that attribution model to allow these partners that we work with like Crocs um, or other e-com brands to actually understand what's performing and where that's driving sales. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a, it's a multi-touch. I think that's a great point. I'm not sure how many users or even uh, brand folks are aware uh, that that's happening in their feed. Uh, but that's a great feature on Instagram specifically for carousels. And then, I mean, for me, I, I just think it's a, it's a great storytelling uh, platform. You know, it's, you know, it's Absolutely. what, it's what stories are in the feed, just, just going frame to frame swiping. You can play with uh, the cropping, play with leading people from frame to frame with the imagery, um, play with videos and carousels, use yeah. them as ads. They work really great as ads. I remember we did a deep dive on Walmart's social ad strategy in 2018 and I was fast. I mean, imagine just diving into the number of ads that Walmart is running on Facebook, Instagram. It's, <laughs> it's massive. <laughs> so it took us a while to, to do that deep dive. But at the time, um, and they're still doing a lot today, I, I think it was 90% carousel ads and a lot of product focused, wow. um, obviously, with, with e-commerce. But, you know, they're doing that because it works. Uh, plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, so definitely something people will need it. to take a closer look at. Another detail you had was that product shots uh, were were hugely successful when it came to engagement for Crocs and maybe something they should do even more of. Yeah. I think for us, what was interesting was noticing colors, right, that really were popping or really outperforming for them. So um, as we really started to analyze that content. Uh, we started noticing which ones were over-indexing or over-engaging, and it, it kind of ties back to what actually blew them back up, right? So um, one of the one of the team members had told us a story about how there was a couple teens that were at the Mall of America. They went back and started posting pictures 
um, they were getting like team, like volleyball team. Um, everybody was doing the white classic clog. Um, and they were now started to uh, be able to see that popping up a lot more on Twitter and on Instagram. And they actually ended up creating a hashtag rock white Crocs that ended up trending and blowing up even further. Um, they had another part of it that was also like kids were wearing Crocs to prom and really kind of pumping <laughs> that one out there. So being oh, able yeah. to ultimately listen, engage with their audience, I think is one of the things that those product shots led them to also tying in and, and even doubling down on some of those um, you know, some of those pieces that were actually trending out there with their younger audience, who's actually been the ones that have really reinvented them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's they, they, uh, they definitely have been, um, I I've seen a lot on, you know, both Instagram stories and even more so on TikTok, uh, Crocs having sure. like a big resurgence it's just, even it's just as a content piece as a storytelling tool, yep. which is a really fascinating, such a unique product. The, um, yeah. the thing that makes, uh, I mean, so not everybody has a physical product, right? Uh, so, you know, telling right. people you should show your product on Instagram because people are looking, especially like fashion brands that works for, you know, car companies. Um, it doesn't work for everyone, but it makes me think of uh, Amex. Uh, a couple of years ago, Amex was looking at their Instagram, very similar process. And they were, they were noticing that um, their uh, shots of the card were getting a ton of engagement. They thought that was kind of maybe a boring thing to do on Instagram, uh, maybe, you know, it was, it was a little in your face. Here's the credit card. Here's the credit card showing right. that over and over just wasn't really their first instinct on Instagram. But when they looked at the data, they noticed that it was just highly engaging. Anytime they showed a shot of the card. Um, if you look at their Instagram today, they've really embraced that. So, you know, they're kind of famous for this, uh, shallow focus, uh, product shot, handheld product of the card in different scenarios, in different settings, you know, different customers, et cetera, et cetera, different card types. And cool. it's, yep. they do that because that is what people react to. That's what people are engaging with. And they, you know, they spent, you know, God knows how many millions of dollars making that card iconic over the years. So that's why that's working. For people. Uh, but I think it's fascinating when you do look at maybe some of your first assumptions uh, on platforms, uh, what people are going to engage with. You really do need to dive deep right. into the data because you're not going to know what works. And people can do this kind of product shot thing without having a product, without, without having a physical product. Yeah. Even if you don't, you know, Amex does have a credit card. Uh, I, I'd, I'd also point to someone like WeWork. Um, okay. They're really good about having kind of branded items like a coffee mug or, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. different uh, postcards that they have that are branded with their their different sayings and what they're branding it right. logo and using those as kind of the same shallow focus uh product shots on instagram and other platforms yeah. i think i think you can still do this and learn from these lessons even if you don't have a shoe or a pair of chains to sell what i what i kind of think with and what you're mentioning is really understanding content performance overall which i think has been a kind of a sore spot for the industry and what what i've heard from not only our partners but also some of the potential ones that we're talking to right is what, what it starts from is the team that normally is working on these, you know, from the social side, um, the team is normally very small, but the demands are so high and the ability to scale, tagging content, understanding. I think our goal as a company at Social Bakers is to ultimately help lift, you know, kind of some of those things for them and really pull those insights to the top so that we can tag content by keyword or hashtag. We've built an automation layer on the back end of our tool now that's helping people do that. And it's one of my favorite uses of the tool is just instead of, you know, teams that can't add another player, 
they can add a tool like ours to basically help them bring that into perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something we work on every day is trying to help social teams grow their budget, grow their yeah. teams. I think they are still very, very underfunded and undersupported. So I think that's a great, uh, great solution is to look for ways that tools can help you kind of bridge those gaps. So uh, let's jump to another shoe company, uh, Bob. We we also uh, talked before the show about um, some work you did with Aldo, who is a kind of shoe and accessories and, you know, kind of fashion company yeah. in many ways. Um, and you worked with them on an influencer campaign, I believe, and kind of tracking the success yeah. of that. Can you talk about kind of just a few ways that you helped them measure the success or the progress of, of, of an influencer campaign? Sure. So to me, there's three parts, right? Identifying the influencer, contracting that influencer, and then reporting or benchmarking them across the campaign, right? Yeah. So our goal is to help you ultimately identify and report on them. We don't do any from the, the contracting aspect of it because that ultimately potentially could compete with some of our agency partners, right? Which make up a majority, you know, solid part of our business. So I think for us, it's really understanding how those folks have basically done in the past um, so that they can then understand, is this influencer actually being successful, right? Um, Are they creating content that's actually compelling to the audience? Or is this something so out of whack with what they traditionally will be posting that it's just not resonating with that audience, right? I think one of the biggest things that folks um, that we work with or folks that we strive to work with have really identified is transparency, right? Being the biggest thing in question. And that means to me, influencers being able to ultimately share back stats or data on how they performed. Um, so social bakers um, in 2020 is actually creating that connection, which will allow brands and influencers to create this connection to allow influencers to pass back impression data, story data, post level data that they've never been able to share with full transparency before. Um, so it'll allow you to kind of create that connection and just build the, you know, kind of, I think trust between brand and influencer on the back end. Yeah. And that is that real time, you know, for people that are worried about Instagram likes going away and some other vanity metrics, is that going to be kind of real time feedback? Can people, people see as the campaign evolves? Absolutely. And and that's the part of why I think having a third party tool that can provide that layer of trust and consistency for brands and for influencers, um, you know, for us, although the likes might be going away visually on the platform, it's not going to affect us from the third-party reporting aspect of things. Yeah. Um, so that's something we really are kind of striving to make sure everybody understands. Because I think everybody was like, oh, no, they were a little nervous. We're not going to be able to see how we're performing. How are we going to compare ourselves to our competitors and benchmark? But it's not really going to change anything for us on that side um, as far as helping our brands continue to understand what is outperforming or underperforming for that um, you know, matter. Um, so I think for, for that, it's really going to help us dig in even further. So let's get specific. This was, uh, one of the things that you worked with Aldo on was an event that they did with refinery. Um, uh, and you, I think there were maybe a dozen influencers involved and it looked to me that the influencers were a, a large range of, you know, some of them had up to like maybe a million followers and some were down in the tens of thousands of followers. Uh, and the, and the range of the engagement that they saw was pretty varying as well. Talk, talk through that and kind of what you're looking for when you're trying to really find kind of the important little tidbits of information that help a brand kind of measure whether they want to keep working with an influencer or not. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. So I think um, when we look at, and in this campaign specifically, we, we really coach our brands to identify what are your KPIs, right? Are you looking to sell? Are you looking to drive brand awareness? Um, are you looking to just engage a new audience, right? And ultimately find that influencer that helps you do that. So I think one, it's understanding um, what's the influencer's normal engagement, right? And kind of benching, benchmarking that over the last three to six months so that we understand this is traditionally what that audience does from an engagement perspective with that influencer, right? Yeah. Now, when I activate my campaign for them, I'm able to track those things in real time to understand, wow, they're really outperforming. So this content is working. Um, it's underperforming. So that's something that's not maybe resonating with that audience because me from the brand side, I would want to make sure that if it's underperforming, I don't need to continue using that influencer. And I can ultimately go back and create efficiencies with the ones that are so that I'm not wasting my time, my money or posts and or you know product for that matter in this instance, which they were driving to strive out and actually have them drive, uh, push for the you know, kind of consumer side. Yeah. And in this example, was it more of a, a branding play? Were they trying to point people to actually purchase? What was the KPI for Aldo? Yeah, I think from from this aspect, it, it was a little bit of both, right? So ultimately, identifying influencers that had large audiences, but also those micro influencers that could go and engage an audience to actually influence them a little bit further, right? Yeah. And I think from that perspective, it's really, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are talking about different things. But for us, this one was to ultimately... Um, kind of create that buzz around Aldo and Refinery, right? And this large event that they were kind of running, but then ultimately drive, you know, to me, when the, the earlier you can get to these fans of brands and create those, right? Whether it's through influencers or just through compelling content, um, the longer you're going to have them as, uh, you know, consumers of yours. Yeah. And a, a piece of this that I liked that you touched on a second ago was, um, you know, making sure you have the benchmark, which Social Bakers is really good at, but the benchmark of the influencer's performance. And I would, you know, and if they're underperforming that benchmark, if they usually get, you know, uh, a couple hundred uh, out of a thousand of their users engaging and they only got, you know, 10 for this, that's a severe underperformance. And that's, you know, something's wrong there. So you need to put some attention there. Uh, if they're underperforming by maybe 10%, I think that's pretty normal. I think most people would expect, you know, sponsored content to underperform what an influencer typically puts out by at least a little bit. Uh, what I was really interested yeah. in is, is there were several, maybe at least like three of these influencers who overperformed their average content uh, which which shows me that you know they're the people that are trying to uh, when when they are giving access to something that's really relevant you know access to an inside yep. event access to a celebrity something like that that's really relevant to their content already um, it's going to work really well and that's kind of the perfect storm and when you uh, you know that's that's harder to find <laughs> to find an influencer whose content does <laughs> <Yeah>. better working <laughs> with as a sponsored ad so I think that's uh, really insightful and, and and really kind of what people are looking for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I wish we could say that every one of these influencer campaigns has that kind of compelling yeah. uh, content and the audience actually engages with it. It's not always going to be the case. I think for us, it's being able to understand that and turn on or off, right? Because not every campaign is going to be a home run, right? Not every campaign is going to get your audience actually really excited about it. But then we can take away from those learnings and basically help the next ones even more. And is this all Instagram, I'm assuming? Uh, is this all Instagram, I'm assuming, with the, you know, being a, a fashion brand? Do you, are you seeing a lot of the uh, influencer content still focused on Instagram as it's been for a couple of years now? 
Absolutely. I think now what's, what's really, to me, that's where the interactions are going and it's the biggest platform by far. I mean, I think TikTok is the one that's the most compelling and interesting to me. Um, unfortunately, there's no API as of yet. I hope that that's something that we get some access to here soon. Um, but really being able to dig in and understand the mammoth growth that they're seeing is something that I've been just spending a ton of time nerding out with. Uh, I mentioned Complex before. Um, they've been one of, they were the fastest to get to a million followers um, on TikTok and growing even, even more exciting now. Um, so I, I love seeing what's going on and watching what's happening with these platforms. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I've seen in the last month, uh, we're we're in December right now recording this, uh, I've seen a couple, you know, uh, kind of sensations come out of nowhere on TikTok. And I think TikTok has proven they can grow an audience faster than we've ever seen on any social network. You know, obviously, we've seen celebrities on Twitter and Instagram get to like a million followers pretty quickly. Uh, But there have been people that were, you know, no one knew of. And in within a few days have amassed audiences of over a million on TikTok. And one yep. person just did it in a day uh, because of how yep. their algorithm works. Um, so it's really yep. a fast, I mean, you're, they're basically growing influencers out of nothing uh, purely based Absolutely. on kind of a meritocracy of what content works on the platform. So I think it's really interesting. I think they'll have to come out with an API yeah. uh, pretty quickly. And I think they will considering how quickly they came out with uh, an ad platform. Uh, so it's it's yeah. definitely an interesting one to watch and see how much influencer content kind of flows to them away from YouTube and, and Instagram. Yeah, hopefully we'll have more information to share on that in January. I know there's some things we're working on on the backside with them, um, for sure. I, initially, I thought that TikTok was only uh, something my eight-year-old neighbor was uh, interested in, but uh, <laughs> the more that I've uh, the more that I've dug in and actually watched how brands are using it, and engaging, it's it's been awesome. See, Bob, you should have really been. Well, you well should have. You should have been at Social Fresh last year. We were telling everyone what they needed to know about TikTok, <laughs> how important it would it. be in 2019. <laughs> Just to brag I'm a little bit. I'm getting too old here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, the older you get, the weirder social networks get, I believe, and the weirder trends get too. It. So it's, it's always there. All right, so let's let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. So sure. I did some work with Frito Lay, and I believe this was uh, with. Doritos, Tostitos, um, uh, and Frito-Lay itself as a brand. Um, and they had several kind of different pieces going with the Super Bowl. Honestly, it seemed like a lot to track. So, I mean, on a, on a sheer volume scale challenge, I'm curious um, how you look at something that big. It's a, it's a Super Bowl campaign. You've got multiple huge global brands involved, multiple platforms uh, tons of data flooding in. I mean, they're they're probably posting more content than they usually post uh, around the Super Bowl as well, because uh, they've got to get as much value out of uh, out of that media buy. Uh, so, talk to me about kind of the scale of that and the challenge uh, of a platform to kind of track all of that. I think you guys are probably set up really well to gather all that data and dive into it. But what's specifically are you doing tactically when um when you're when you're taking a look at something like that? Yeah, the Super Bowl is one of my. Obviously, a marquee event for so many brands, but when we talk about somebody like Frito-Lay, right, um, and their snack brands that are underneath it, it is their Super Bowl internally as a company as well. Um, we did some really cool things with them, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Anheuser-Busch is another partner of ours that we were sitting in real time around their corn syrup campaign that they had kind of run this last year, which I also could share some things on too. There's some really cool stuff with that. But I think overall, the goal for us was to plan this out. 
a six months out, right? So they knew the things that they were really going to be promoting and how they were going to be basically now pushing out this content. So Doritos specifically had a flaming hot campaign with Chance the Rapper. Um, there was a lot of buzz around the commercial. It was everywhere, right? Um, and for me, being able to really start seeing how those brands are thinking on the back end allows us to be creative with setting it up prior, building out automation around tagging the content based on the keywords and hashtags that they're planning to use so that we can look and watch how this is actually engaging and reactions are coming in in real time, right? So it's really kind of exciting watching it once I kind of know what's coming. Uh, we can't obviously share a lot of those details with folks before, but seeing it live happening at the Super Bowl um, and watching all the stats rack up was something that was just really cool to be a part of. I love that. So it's a lot of preparation, just knowing where things are going and what you're looking for. I, I, um, you know, I, I've I've seen the Super Bowl when people were watching Super Bowl commercials, talking about Super Bowl commercials, it's really shifted, I think, primarily from Twitter, which was maybe three, four years ago, yeah. I think the primary response channel when you're watching the Super Bowl, watching yep. commercials. And now it's it's really driving to Instagram. I think Twitter is still obviously very important. That's where you know live events thrive. Uh, but Instagram seems to be become, uh, in many ways, in a lot of different ways, whether it's hashtags on Instagram, whether it's stories, on Instagram yep. uh, and brands using the platform in different ways, uh, especially this last year we saw. Um, I'm wondering what you're seeing data-wise, how much of the kind of response is shifting over to Instagram? Is that the primary channel for for looking where for customers that are responding to these ads? Yeah, and, and I think what's really the part that that's exciting for me is watching these brands engaging with their fans, right? Like I get excited when a brand responds to me. I'm, I'm a nerd about this stuff, but... Well, you know, now how those conversations are evolving. Um, I love the shareability of things on Instagram, being able to send it to my friend group. I've got a chat that's, you know, funny memes or different things with a group of my, my crew that we're always kind of sharing like, oh, this is really something that's interesting. So the shareability to me has been what's really driven the inter interactions and driven that visibility so much faster. Um, Twitter is still going to have that real time I'm going to, you know, crack jokes or be the funny person and or share news really quickly. But when I'm looking at specific content, short form, longer forms, right? And now IGTV, even to that extent, that's where I'm seeing the folks spending a lot of time and really where the uh, viewers are, are going as we drive. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a shift. It's interesting. I think, you know, this there's definitely more people spending more time on Instagram than they are on Twitter. So it's, it's obviously yeah. a natural shift that, uh, you know, your, your media reaction time is going to go to the platform that you default to. Uh, is, is Facebook still important in this discussion? Is it, is it still an important response channel when it comes to the Super Bowl or just live programming in general? What, what do you see there? Absolutely. I, to me, it's still it's still a spot where people are spending time, spending money, more importantly, um, and ultimately targeting. I, I think the goal is to become as efficient as possible because it is a space that you need to spend time, um, especially when we look at an event like the Super Bowl. Um, that older audience, the ones that are probably buying the snacks and hosting the parties and doing all those things, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a spot that, you know, there are going to be a lot of dollars spent as well. And, and there's going to be uh, also still high engagement. To me, it still hasn't met up with what's happening on Instagram uh, from that perspective. But it's a spot that I need to have my message. It's going to be a little bit different, um, but it's going to be somewhere that I'm absolutely, um, you know, spending some time and some quality content there as well.
Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think the Super Bowl has become a good example of what a solid digital campaign can look like because it used to be you had a Super Bowl commercial and it was basically a day. You built up a lot of, uh, you know, planning and strategy and the, it was one day of the of the ad buy going out there and now today yeah uh, all the commercials are teased uh you put them out on instagram yeah. you put them out on facebook on youtube you tease them in different ways different strategies maybe yeah. it's a whole campaign of 10 videos leading up to one commercial right like pepsi did last year um so i i'm, yeah. I'm I, I what you're saying makes me think of the fact that these commercials these teasers uh, are probably most shared on Facebook leading up. So that might be, uh, you know, yeah. it's less of a real-time response channel than it is uh, maybe the two-week span that you're really tracking all this activity. Totally. Yeah. Well, I even think YouTube to that extent is another place where some of that longer form content lives, right? Definitely. I mean, I think the one that I love, especially this year's Super Bowl, that had probably the most buzz was that Anheuser-Busch piece, right? So when they had Bud Light delivering the corn syrup uh, I thought it was one of the most interesting things. They didn't specifically mention the corn syrup. You know, it was just implied, which caused a lot of buzz. It caused a lot of back and forth between Coors Light and Bud Light, which, to be honest, was one of the funnier social battles um, that yeah. happened throughout that month of February. Um, and we got a real-time view of watching how it was in, <laughs> kind of evolving, right, which I thought was really kind of interesting watching both of their responses. Um, because there was a lot of people commenting on that. So it was really cool. Yeah, it was very engaging. Anytime two brands are fighting online, it's, uh, it's pretty, so fun, good. pretty yeah. fun to watch. And, and if it's over corn syrup, I think we can all get behind that. Um, so, Absolutely. so one of the things that I saw in a deck you had about the Frito-Lay, uh, data that you pulled together, uh, was a brand sentiment uh, discussion. And I, I thought that was worth maybe talking a little bit, uh, a little deeper dive here. And, you know, we, we think about brand sentiment. I think people look at brand sentiment as something they kind of have to do just to just to make sure that, hey, is this working? Are people talking crap about our ad? Are we, are we, are we getting, you know, enough of a brand lift uh, with this content? And what I loved about the data that you put behind the kind of Dorito and Tostito uh, uh, Super Bowl digital campaigns uh, was that you dove a little deeper into the neutral and negative comments, which there weren't, there, you know, most comments are always going to be neutral. Um, and, you know, negative hopefully is a minority. And I think for, you know, all of their efforts, there were very few negative comments. Uh, but one of the things I sure. saw was that the neutral comments, uh, there were a lot of product questions and a lot of tagged users, uh, which are yeah. very kind of tactical, diving into the tactics of the users. Like, all right, we got a ton of neutral comments. What are they actually doing? What is the purpose behind these comments? Because that can tell you a ton about how the campaign is doing. And then also the Absolutely. negative comments uh, was actually more of just an argument of whether Doritos had enough hot flavors already or not. <laughs> enough spicy right. products. Yeah. Which, you know, that's not really a bad negative either. That's more of you know, a great. We have people engaging, talking about how many spicy flavors they want of our product. That's a pretty good discussion to be monitoring. Well, and, and to me, right, being able to understand that, we have a real-time kind of um, aspect in our tool that's analyzing the sentiment as it's coming in. Um, it also allows for human, you know, whoever on the team is looking at it to say, actually, you know, we consider that to be positive, even though maybe there's certain aspects that could con uh, like negative, right? Um, and I think, you know, this is something that brands are striving to do. I mean, look what just happened this last week with the Peloton 
crisis, right? Like there was a lot of things that were happening. There was a lot of people commenting and really kind of dig, <laughs> taking shots there. Um, but I also love the real-time aspect of um, a company like Aviation Gin, Ryan Reynolds' company, that then created a response to that with the same woman that was in the commercial. I don't know yeah. if you caught that. It was yeah. one of my favorite things and why I love what, what's happening with social. Um, when you have that real-time ability, there's a lot of opportunity for it to go really, really well or really poorly, right? And people are never afraid to share their opinions. So I think when we look back at the sentiment around this, being able to understand what is actually resonating with your audience, but then, you know, taking those negatives around um, there's too many products or, you know, overall just, you know, uh, anything that's coming in there um, and having some of that feedback. There's no bigger real time sharing. Um, I'm not asked to take a survey. I'm just able to pull that down and just understand that from a brand's perspective, which is great. Yeah, I think diving deeper into those kind of tactical pieces of, of what the actual intent of the reactions are is really useful. Uh, the Peloton is very yeah. interesting. Obviously I think, yeah. you know, they really got jumped on pretty hard for, for an ad uh, that was, you know, the husband giving the wife an exercise equipment for, for Christmas. Um, and I think that piece of it was really where all the negative sentiment came from, you know, assuming someone needs to for lose sure. weight or something like that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it was probably an extreme reaction on Twitter. I, I, I think they probably reacted pretty quickly judging from what I'm seeing. Cause I've seen the actual yeah. kind of ad buys on TV since this has kind of uh, developed a little bit. And it seems like Absolutely. the TV commercials are downplaying the husband buying the gift part of it and more just celebrating, Oh, I got a Peloton for Christmas. Um, which I think I'm, I'm guessing is a response to what they saw online and a pretty quick response. Cause they have this ad buy and they can't really get rid of it. They won't need to drive this campaign some direction. <laughs> um, so it seems yeah. like they responded pretty well, but um, it's, you know, you never know where the data is going to blow up like that. And you, you kind of have to have tools right. in place to read it. Absolutely. Okay. So um, what do you think uh, when it comes to kind of brand sentiment, what's, what, what's like a common thing that people are not, really doing correctly or, or a big opportunity that people just are missing when it comes to measuring brand sentiment? For me, um, I, I think that brands need to just be able to uh, understand right, what content is performing right overall. Um, that leads to that sentiment from the uh, audiences, right? So to me, it, it always comes back to creating quality content, engaging with your audience, when they're on the platforms or however they're on the platforms, having the correct voice across those platforms because it does differ and being able to take that feedback and use it, right? I think there's so many brands that still are having a hard time getting out of that box, right? They still have this, I have a message I need to deliver and they're not, it's social, it's fun, right? I want to engage with the people that are looking at my content. I want to create reasons for people to actually write back and forth and have that buzz right so for me it's really trying to simplify it um because we're not you know we're not curing cancer there's not like some crazy thing that's going on we're working on how do i get my audience to engage with my product and have a really um specific either message or fun or you know it's everybody's to me just uh, i think at times over complicating it and i want to always try to simplify those things and give those stats and give that data to support the reasoning why. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it reminds me, you know, the 
the old business mantra of follow the money, you know, wherever the customers are spending money, follow that, spend more time there, get more products okay. there. Uh, for me in social, it's kind of follow the engagement. You know, if they, if they're engaging with your weird meme stuff, follow that engagement. If they're engaging with, you know, right. stuff when you're asking questions, whatever it is, giving, giving them enough kind of, uh, uh, giving people enough data to know this is what the customers want and kind of following that. I think that's that simplification of the message is, is really great. All right. So before yeah. we close things out, Bob, with our speed round, is there uh, anything, uh, in, anything you can point people to when they want to find you online or anything you'd like to plug? Yeah. So I think for, for us, obviously our website, socialbakers.com is where you can understand what we do a little bit further. Um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Appa is where I'm at professionally as well. I um, love connecting with as many different brands. I think it's why I really love this space. I get to sit down and meet with some of the largest brands around the world every single day, um, understand why they're doing things, why they're not doing things. And I just, for me, it's always a new, um, kind of almost like a new adventure every day to, to understand how these brands are working. Um, and I think that's my favorite part. So I look forward to connecting with anybody uh, after this podcast. And I really appreciate again, Jason, you having me on before this yeah. speed round. Thanks for jumping on, Bob. Bob, one more time. What's, the, uh, what's your social handle? Uh, you cut out there for a second. Yeah, so I'm at Bob Gearing. At Bob Gearing. Very easy, folks, to find him on the socials. All right, so let's jump into the speed round. What is the most underrated emoji, Bob? For me, uh, my girlfriend would say the uh, guy with the little mustache. I just came off of Movember, and I think I'm going to continue rocking this thing for uh, at least another month. It's feeling pretty good. So you have like a proper mustache going? It's, it's legit. Yeah, I'll have to uh, tweet it out to you after. <laughs> that's a that's a whole subculture. Be careful. You might like you might get stuck there. Not be able to escape. All right. Favorite app that people might not know about. Uh, I'm gonna share a couple. The sneakers app, the Nike sneakers app. I love I love sneakers. I'm a sicko. I have probably 50 pair here. At oh least. wow. Um, probably them and StockX, who I use to then either buy, trade, or yeah. you know sell my sneakers once I overload. Those are my two. So just a whole sneaker app suite, basically. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know, something I can't figure out how to stop buying. So. Yeah. <laughs> Stock, StockX is another company uh, like Complex that's really tapping into that, uh, being a kind of a cultural touchstone and helping, helping brands them. with kind of data. They're another Detroit guy. I don't know if you knew oh, that. Oh, I, did, I didn't Detroit know that. As well. That's great. Yeah. Got to rep, right. rep my people. <laughs> last, last book that you read that you would highly recommend. Stick with the sneakers thing here, Shoe Dog. I don't know if you've read that one yet, but I am obsessed. I am obsessed. Definitely dig into that. And is that just uh, about the other thing the I was going to mention? Is uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Is that just about the industry of kind of sneakers and the culture behind it, or? Uh, it's it's how Phil Knight basically started Nike. His ups down, oh, maybe, yeah. and how he actually brought it around. So I saw someone else um, recommend that. That's great. It's. Incredible. I think the only other thing I was going to mention too is also sticking to kind of on brand here for you, but the podcast that I'm always digging into other than yours um, would be how I built this. Um, and right yeah. now I've been really hot on the, the corp, the one with A-Rod and Big Cat. I don't know if you've listened to any of those ones yet, but those are two of my go-tos when I'm running in the treadmill. I can't listen to music anymore lately. Yeah. I love how I built this. It's a great one. I, I also do not listen to a lot of music. Um, 
usually it's yeah. back, background <laughs> for me if I'm working. I have like music without yeah. lyrics, but I, I usually do some type of talk radio, podcast, books on tape, something like that. So I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. Uh, closing things out, best piece of content you've ever produced, personal or professional. Yeah, so content in a broad matter, um, my friends and I back home in Detroit, um, I'm going to give them the credit. They created it, but it was a six-man T-shirt. It had six head holes and an armhole on each end with a couple in the middle that would allow people to drink beers in between. We would wear it to the Tiger games. Where I'm a huge Detroit Tigers fan. Um, we would get on TV every single time we wore it. Now, we've traveled with it on the road. Um, it's been on MLB's Instagram. They actually did an interview with us at one of the World Series. Oh my Unfortunately, gosh. we didn't win, but um, it's probably one of the cooler things. We had a whole hashtag that was going with it um, that was six men, one shirt um, for a long time. It got lost. We just found it. There's two of them floating around now in our friend group. So it's always one of those ones that whenever the Tigers get good again, hopefully someday, um, you'll start seeing that floating around again as well, for sure. So six man t-shirt is the key to your Instagram content. If you're looking for ideas out there. I love that. That's probably our most, probably our most unique answer. I'm definitely going to need a visual to follow up on that. All right, Bob. Uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time on the show. Awesome. Thanks Jason again for having me. I really appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to connecting with some folks after this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the social toolkit brought to you by social fresh. Today's show was made possible by a great team of people, including Nicole Delonzo, my partner and co-producer of the show. Special thanks also to Scott Monty, the voice in our intro, and Jason Yarborough for his speed round sound effects. Social Fresh is a social media training and education company. We help you stand out from the social media crowd through events, training, and industry analysis. If you'd like more information on how you can work with us at Social Fresh, please visit socialfresh.com slash services. And we will see you again on the next episode of the Social Toolkit.